This week, we're taking issue with two ousters and an oath. Claudine Gay is out as the president of Harvard. Former President Donald Trump gets kicked off the ballot in Maine, and the Boston City Council is back to work, and they brought the controversy with them once again. I'm Corey. I'm Sue. And this is Taking Issue. Our nation was born here, not with a whimper, but with the spark of revolution. One more indictment, and this election is closed out. That's what democracy is. It's a choice of the people, by the people, and for the people. Hello, Happy New Year to everybody out there. This is the first 2024 edition of Taking Issue. I'm anchor and investigative reporter Corey Smith, and joined, as always, by NBC10 Boston political commentator Sue O'Connell, who, if you didn't know, had her star turn last week as a co-host of First Night in Boston. She brought the fireworks, she brought the fun. I would like um, to thank the Eve Madison School of Dance in Revere <laughs> in the uh, 60s and 70s for when I had to get down low, I was actually able to not get only down, Corey, but also up, which is very Good. important. Good. Glad your hips are all in plat, <laughs> all, all intact. All right, Sue, so, uh, let's start over in Cambridge because it's a story that really has implications not just for Harvard but up on Capitol Hill. Claudine Gay resigning uh, as president of Harvard. It comes weeks after uh, the testimony she gave on Capitol Hill related to the rise in anti-Semitism on Harvard's campus. Uh, it also comes amid swirling allegations of plagiarism in her academic work. Um, the allegations surfaced. We, we saw what they were. Um, she was going to go back and correct them. It appears more allegations have surfaced, and, and now she is out. She's staying at Harvard as a, as a teacher, um, but she is no longer the president. Of course, uh, this has been met with consternation by some and with applause by some. Let's start with the folks who were cheering her departure. Sue, I'm curious as to what you make of um, the Republican response, because this, this is what they wanted. Let's, let's just be frank about it. They wanted a scalp. They wanted three scalps. They wanted the president of MIT, Harvard, and UPenn to get kicked out of their jobs. UPenn's president is out. Now Claudine Gay is out. Uh, your, what do you make of the reaction from, from the right uh, to Claudine Gay's decision to resign? Yeah, I mean, this was a, absolutely a targeted attack on her and the other, other presidents. I don't think we should make any, any um, assumptions that this just happened to be a serendipitous moment. Um, you know, I am... I'm surprised at how easy they are able to turn themselves into pretzels when they haven't uh, uh, been upset about other anti-Semitic incidents or actions by the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, around some of the things that he has done and been held accountable for. But this they are very upset about. You know, we talked, I think, in, in a, a few podcasts ago that this was not a shining moment for these presidents in Washington. But... You know, I would also say that the board at, of Harvard, although they said they supported uh, President Gay, then President Gay didn't do a very job get, good job getting out publicly supporting her and being on television stations or writing guest opinions. But that is the secrecy that they have had since the 1600s. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised by that. Um, but I, I mean, just thinking that this is this is a good thing, uh, ousting a president of a university for a bad appearance in front of Congress for something that's not actually something that Congress has any say over. This is a private university, uh, and clearly uh, these are issues that Harvard and MIT will deal with themselves. So I, I think the targeting of it is unfortunate. I think uh, the, the, the little we know really about the plagiarism charges, and again, you know, everybody should be held to the same standards. If these are 
charges that a, a student would get expelled for, then you know perhaps these are things we should look seriously at. But you know I think there's there's going to be a lot of digging into a lot of college presidents' uh, 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 past work and scholarly work to find out if these plagiarism issues are being enforced, and I mean enforced by people who don't have any enforcement uh, except the bully pulpit uh, across the board. Yeah, and I think we've heard we've heard from students that that same refrain. You know, if this is something that I can get kicked out of school for. Uh, it, it's certainly something that that she should be disciplined for. I guess my my thing is how does how does one become the president of Harvard University without this being checked in in the first place? And, and my my wife has written a dissertation. She she's written you know in, in biological journals where they do take citations seriously, and it can get convoluted, which is why we heard Claudine Gay say, "Okay, I'm going to go back and to correct these things." Uh, so it will be interesting to see if we get any more information from Harvard where we see the specific, um, not not just copying of words or, or phrases, um, but actual theft of, you know, basically what amounts to intellectual property. Um, but going back to what you were saying, um, I think it's, it's, it's not only, I think under the, 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 the umbrella of we want to do what we can to stamp out anti-Semitism on campus, which is a righteous cause, which is something that needs to happen, uh, you had folks on the right do this not only for that, but, but also they want to take on these elite institutions. Um, it's it's an attack on diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. I can't tell you how many times on social media you hear people calling Claudine Gay a diversity hire, um, and this is why all hiring should be done on merit on merit basis. Um, and then I think it also you hear some folks talking about this is this is an attack on on black leadership, um, and to hear the Ayanna, Ayanna Presleys of the world. Um, and other, you know, black academics um, talking about the, the treatment that, that she's been getting, and she, Claudine Gay herself, talking about some of the death threats and the racial epithets that have been been thrown her way uh, since all all of this started. It all plays a role, um, and I think, as you said, it can't get lost on folks that the same person, Elise Stefanik, in New York, who has joyfully, you know been in glee over the ouster of, of UPenn's president and now Claudine Gay saying, you know, two down, one to go. Um, she, she went to these elite institutions. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, she went to Harvard. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the irony here, right? You've got, uh, you know, a Ted Cruz. You've got a uh, Ron DeSantis. You have an Elise Stefanik who all have gone to a Yale or a Harvard, and they're acting as if it's the worst place in the world. Well, if it's such a terrible place, why did you go there? And they also act like it's the most liberal place and most progressive place in the world, where obviously, you know, you can, you can experience it in different ways, but I would challenge that it's probably not. And, you know, also, I'm old enough to have lived through a number of mediocre white presidents of universities and colleges across the entire world. So, I mean, I know we hold Harvard up as this elite of the elite, but, and I'm not saying that former President Gay was mediocre, but I'm just saying everyone is acting as if suddenly uh, these women and women of color are in charge of universities and suddenly we're checking their quotation marks in a way that men, white men especially, who have been presidents have never had their, uh, their uh, qualifications checked. So I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying it's not an even playing field. And, and it's just, it, it, the, I guess, the intellectual dishonesty, if you will. Um, the fact that, as you mentioned, here, here Elise Stefanik wants to be a warrior against anti-Semitism, which, again, to be clear, is, is something that is awful and does need to be stamped out everywhere across America. 
but she also is supporting a presidential candidate who has dined with the likes of Nick Fuentes, who has dined with the likes of, of Kanye West, both who have majorly dabbled in anti-Semitism, and yet here she is now trying to raise her hand as, as being this this warrior to fight it. It just it, it, it doesn't pass it doesn't pass the smell test, but a lot of stuff doesn't pass the smell test uh, in, in Washington. So um, you know we'll see we'll see what happens from here. Um, as as I've said, I you know we did a, a, a live chat during a newscast. They have they got their scalp. That's what they wanted. Um, and it's going to continue when you guys, you got guys like Christopher Rufo out there who is saying, who, who doesn't even hide it to his credit. I'll give him that. He doesn't hide it. He says, this, this is what, this is what I want to do. Um, I, I want to go after these quote unquote woke institutions and these sort of elitist people, um, and, and sort of remake higher education, uh, in the United States, which, which obviously does trickle down into the CRT panic in, in our, in our high schools and elementary schools. Um, and, and DEI and social emotional learning, even uh, to some extent, um, this this is what they wanted, and they got their way. So obviously, a lot of them are are sort of celebrating um, Claudine Gay's resignation. Um, so that's one of the ousters that we're going to talk about this week. The other one, um, former President Donald Trump kicked off the ballot. Uh, the main Secretary of the State, Shinabello's, saying by law under the Fourteenth Amendment, uh, he engaged in insurrection. He cannot be on the primary ballot. Uh, this comes after Colorado made the same decision, ultimately going to wind up in the Supreme Court. Um, Sue, does this, a lot of the response has been, this is going to help President Donald Trump and not even from the right, from the left. Um, you know, folks like, I believe Dean Phillips even come out and said that he shouldn't be kicked off the ballot. Um, David Axelrod, he shouldn't be kicked off the ballot. Uh, what, what do you make of the decision and the, 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 I guess, predicament for lack of a better word that these state election officials are in? Um, when it comes to whether or not former President Donald Trump should be on the ballot. You know, I, I actually, Corey, get kind of nerdy about this whole issue because I go back, I go in my little time machine and I think about when the founders were deciding, you know, should we be like Europe and be like these countries that are all united and will be united states, but everyone gets their own domain, or should we be this republic with all these individual states that have our own individual constitutions and our own way of doing things, um, which would be better? And of course, they went with the latter. So therefore, each state has its own rules about you know who should be on the ballot and how they can be on the ballot. You've got one of these cases going with the Secretary of State. You've got lawsuits being filed. Uh, for Massachusetts and Illinois. Uh, so there's all this patchwork of trying to keep someone off the ballot. And, and, and I just keep going back to if, if Trump was 30 years old, which would make him ineligible to be, uh, to be president, to serve as president if elected, would they have the power to keep him off the ballot anyway? And does the state get to tell these private institutions again, like the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, um, who they can and cannot put on the ballot, even if they're ineligible. I mean, if Arnold Schwarzenegger decided he wanted to run and the Republicans said, great idea, he can't because he's not a US, he wasn't born in the U.S. So, you know, could he be kept off the ballot? And it worries me about whatever the Supreme Court decides. And I understand the challenges between let the people vote, keeping someone off the ballot, which could have a, a seriously a violent reaction to that, uh, and also the Supreme Court setting precedent 
I mean, where are we going to be in four years if they let Trump on the ballot and then find that he has been um, involved in insurrection or decide that uh, a, a president is not an officer of the United States, which is the legalese that some of this is on? I'm just, it, it's just an incredibly tangled issue with both historic implications uh, and implications, I think, on the future of the country without really overstating it because it's like, if, if you're not qualified to be president, who can say that you can't be on the ballot? So when, when I see this situation, this, you know, debate. Quagmire? Quagmire, if you will. I, for me, for me it, it comes down to, you know, so, so what, what does the, the law say? The law says if you engage in insurrection or rebellion, you can't run for president. Um, but then I say, okay, well, if that's the law, then who is going to decide whether or not Donald Trump himself engaged in insurrection and rebellion. I'm, you know, just I looked up the the the, the counts that he's facing in D.C., which is about January sixth. There's a conspiracy to defraud the United States charge, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, one count of obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and one count of conspiracy against rights. All of those are related to the insurrection. I just don't know if that means he did commit insurrection. Um, so. I'm curious to see, you know, you hear a lot of the times and when anything goes to the Supreme Court, the originalists and the folks who just look at the verbatim words of the Constitution and make their rulings based on the original meaning of the words that are written down. And I wonder, okay, well, if, if that is the case, what are the originalists going to say when it says if you engage in insurrection and rebellion, you can't run or you can't be on the ballot? You know, so so obviously this is going to the Supreme Court. Even the Secretary of the State of Maine has said we're not going to enforce this until the Supreme Court rules. We know uh, uh, an organization in Massachusetts uh, is pushing to get the former president removed from the ballot. Um, so so still a lot of chips to fall on this. But it just it just makes me just wonder if Nixon was right, and it's not illegal if the president does it. Right. Well, I mean, it's also the issue. I, I keep thinking about what Senator Elizabeth Warren said uh, to us, or or Matt, I think Pritchard. I think she said it to him when Senator uh, Feinstein passed away, and we were talking about her position on one of the count, uh, one of the committees, and if the Democrats would be allowed to replace her with a Democrat. And Senator Warren, and I'm paraphrasing here, said something like, "Well, decorum would say yes." but we don't use decorum anymore. Like, it's all out the window. And I think, you know, yes, I think it's clear the founders would say that a president is an officer of the United States. Um, but, you know, and, and you would think there's no way someone like a president, Donald Trump, would run for president ever again after being impeached twice and after all the, 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 the uh, legal challenges he's facing. But here we are. Curious to get your thoughts on how this maybe plays out in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, where he is going to be on the ballot. Um, you know, all of his opponents have rallied, ar rallied around him, for lack of a better term. They, they have all said that, that Donald Trump should remain on the ballot. Um, do you think this helps them? You know, Nikki Haley has said, oh, he's always followed by chaos. Well, here, here is more chaos. Um, Ron DeSantis has gone a little bit harder at him, but still not full forced. Um, I think he's the wrong guy for the job. Do you think this has any bearing on what we see happen in Iowa and in New Hampshire later this month? You mean in terms of the voters, what the voters yeah. will think? Yeah. yeah, I don't. I think because I think they're very insulated. You know, Iowa is paying attention to Iowa. New Hampshire is paying attention to New Hampshire. 
Um, this isn't really any new data for them. Um, nothing has changed. Trump is still Trump and being accused of what he's accused of. So I, I think it's, it's really going to have almost zero impact on the voters. Now, to your point, whether or not uh, Haley and DeSantis and Christie pick up and continue to say this is the kind of chaos that we don't want four more years of, that might be something. But they're certainly not going to um, be saying something that the Democrats aren't. Uh, let's stick with Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, is this the uh, swan song, perhaps, the, the, the first and last dance for, for the Ron DeSantis campaign for president if he doesn't come in a very respectable second place? Yeah, I think he has to do better than a respectable second place. I think he has to really outperform Nikki Haley by a large margin. Um, no one is expecting uh, Haley or DeSantis to win in Iowa or New Hampshire, but DeSantis has been all in in Iowa and Haley has been all in in New Hampshire. So if Haley does, uh, if DeSantis comes just a little bit ahead of Haley in Iowa, I think it's a loss for him. Uh, and then moving on to New Hampshire, it appears that it's Nikki Haley's second place race to lose. Um, how do you think she's been able to sort of narrow the gap um, between her and, and former President Trump? Um, it, it appears that the whole Civil War gaffe, if you want to call it that, has kind of faded to the background um, and people have sort of, I guess, forgiven her for it or have said, you know, it doesn't really impact one way I feel about her or the other. How has she managed to sort of close this gap, do you think? Yeah, I actually um, talked to a couple of uh, New Hampshire voters over uh, the break and they, they said to me that they think of Nikki Haley as almost like a smarter gaffer Biden, that she does have a history of sort of either trying to you know, find the middle and inarticulately say things. Uh, so people sort of give her a pass on it because they know that either she didn't mean it or she was just misspeaking and it, it isn't a big deal. So I think we've seen a couple of those. Like I think she said recently uh, to New Hampshire that Iowa votes first and then New Hampshire fixes it or corrects it, which is not what you want to say. No, no. And Ron, De and Ron DeSantis has already seized on those comments. So I think that we're that's who Nikki Haley is, and that's what we're going to see. But I think what she's been able to do is, even though DeSantis was the sort of Trump 2.0, you know, Nikki Haley served under under Trump, and Nikki Haley has been respectful to Trump the entire campaign, and only recently has taken a turn in directly attacking him, and is not attacking him personally, but is sort of attacking the chaos, as she keeps saying, around him, and whether or not that's what the country needs. So I think that she has been managed to thread the needle. I think if DeSantis had been doing that, uh, if DeSantis had last summer been saying, look at it's chaos, this is crazy, we don't want four more years of this, I can offer you Trump without the chaos, we'd be in a, having a different conversation. Do you think, I, I found Chris Christie's response to the whole Civil War question gaffe um, very, very nuanced, and, and I thought it was, it was a good answer. He said, look, I don't believe Nikki Haley has a racist bone in her body, but this is just more evidence that she tries to sort of twist herself into a pretzel, like you said, um, to, to get people to, to like her and, and to support her without just coming out and, and taking one stance. You know, I, I saw in the CNN town hall that, that she did, they were asking her about the um, decision to, to remove the Confederate flag uh, from, from South Carolina. Um, and she said, you know, I heard people on both sides. And I believe the quote that she gave was, it's not a, it's a leader's job to, lis to listen to people. It's not a leader's job to decide who is right. Which got me thinking, well, wait a second, if you're in the White House, if you're the president and you've got people saying 
on both sides of the debate about an issue, you, you're going to be the one who has to choose who you think is maybe not one is right and one is wrong, but who, who has the best answer. That, that is what a, a leader does. Um, do you think moving forward that even this could be something that President Trump tries to seize on, that this is just a malleable politician who is going to be at the whim of, of special interests or anybody whose vote she needs in order to, to win and really not stand for something, but try to sort of stand for everything in between? Well, I, I would note that, you know, Chris, I, I would agree with Chris Christie, except he's not in second place. So he's, you know, obviously, you know, she's got something going for her. And I mean, I've been fascinated how little uh, Donald Trump is actually campaigning against his primary challengers, right? I mean, I, I'm wondering how long he can actually go without uh, turning his, his, his forces and his campaigning against them. But, you know, when you have a 40-point lead like that, you can just ignore everyone else, and I think he's just going to continue doing that. Uh, if, if and when uh, Trump turns his, uh, his campaigning, his, ant, his, his uh, negative campaigning, if you will, against either DeSantis or Haley, then we'll know that they're really gaining on him. So that was going to be my final question just on this topic. Let's say Ron DeSantis comes in second place in Iowa but still isn't doing th that well let's say Nikki Haley trounces him and comes in second place in New Hampshire. At any point, do you see Ron DeSantis, two questions, do you see Ron DeSantis dropping out and do you see Nikki Haley and Donald Trump on stage together at some point in a debate? I, I, I think DeSantis will, again, if, if he doesn't really overperform in Iowa, I think his campaign is over. I don't think that Donald Trump will ever be on a debate stage with whomever, whether it's a Haley or a Christie or a DeSantis. I think Trump is just going to keep doing what he's doing and ignore that he's got he's got contenders. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's a few days away from Iowa. And of course, uh, we're counting down to the big New Hampshire primary, which gives us a chance to, I guess, plug a little something. Sue and I uh, are going to be hosting um, five straight days of at issue. Uh, at 7.30 on NBC10 Boston in the week leading up to the primary. They we're going to be in New Hampshire uh, for the primary. So you'll catch extended uh, episodes of Ad Issue on the Sunday before the primary. And then, of course, we'll be there Monday and Tuesday bringing you everything that you need as they continue to fight for votes up in the Granite State. All right, Nance Vegas, right. here yeah. we come. <laughs> um, let's bring it back home for our final little segment. Um, Boston City Council, back oh, to boy. work. Uh, and the drama has already started. They've literally only been there for a couple of days, and the drama has already started. Um, Councilwoman Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, um, during the swearing-in ceremony, um, appears, and I say appears because there, there's video that has surfaced online showing her not raising her right hand and not verbally speaking the oath of office. There's also video from the city of Boston's YouTube page of the staring in ceremony that I have looked at. And there are a couple of times where it does appear that she is not moving her mouth and that her right hand is not raised. Um, she has since responded, calling uh, attacks on her that, that she is, you know, won't swear an oath to, to serve the, the city of Boston and her constituents. She's uh, labeled those as racist and Islamophobic, anti-immigrant. Um, there is some back and forth on whether or not she legally has to be re-sworn in uh, because she did sign uh, on paper uh, to the oath uh, for, for official record keeping. Um, but Sue, just what do you make of this kind of being the first big headline out of the uh, new council in 2024? So I will, I will grant that, I will grant 
that uh, obviously the attacks on uh, the counselor are targeted toward her, and we don't know who kind of called attention to this, and it's being amplified by some of the worst of the worst uh, social media accounts in the country. Uh, and so again, we have another uh, a leader of color woman who's being targeted for something which in many folks would just say, what's the big deal? So she, she didn't take the oath and hold up her hand. So I, I acknowledge that. At the same time, this is a self-inflicted wound, right? If you have an issue with taking an oath, um, you don't want to use the Bible, you don't want to say it as it is, you go to the people, you go to the clerk and you say, look, it, I don't want to take the oath. This is how I would rather do it. And then there's no issue and it goes away, right? So instead, by not visibly holding your right hand up and visibly saying the oath, and I went back to look to see if she did it two years earlier when she was sworn in for the first time. Forgot about the COVID. Everybody had masks on. So uh, I can't tell. But, uh, you know, the way our city charter <laughs> has been written uh, and when it was written, it's, it's an old city charter. It it, again, decorum to that point, there's the use of the word and, that you're supposed to take the oath, or give the oath, I think it says, and sign the oath as well. So there may be an actual real legality issue around this. But, you know, I know that the, the counselor would like us to, to focus on the work in her district, which I live in. I have rats. I want my rats dealt with. I have a homeless person who's living in a car who we're trying to get services for uh, that we're having a hard time with. There are issues in the city that we need to deal with, and us spending time talking about this is not the time best spent, but it would have been avoided had she just taken the oath or said, I can't take the oath, here is how I want to do it. Because to, your, to our point earlier, that's what leaders do, right? Leaders try not to make themselves the point of the story. To, and to your point, I'll, I'll give councilman, the councilman credit. You, and I hate to put your business out in the street, you have actually directly interacted with her about issues in your neighborhood as a constituent, and she's been responsive to it. We know, we know, she, we know she's out there doing work on, on behalf of, of her constituents and the city of Boston. Um, but yeah, it, it is stuff like this that, you know, at some point, you know, it, it does bubble up to where it's not just the, the trolls on social media who are paying attention to it, but we as a newsroom are having conversations of, do, do we cover it? How, how do we cover it? When instead, what really matters, and which leads to my next question, what should be on the priority list for this new city council as we enter a new year? Yeah, I, you know, they're going to have the mayor's budget um, pretty soon, and they're also going to have the mayor's state of the city, which uh, she'll be, I think, delivering next week. So we'll see what Mich Michelle Wu's priorities are. Um, but the, the challenges haven't, haven't changed for the city, and I, I think that focusing, and I'm always, this is always my thing about the Boston City Council. I know there are greater problems in the world that we should all care about, but if you're my city councilor or my mayor, I want you focusing on my neighborhood and my city and my issues. We've got the Boston Public Schools issues with the facilities challenges that they have. We have the continuing influx of uh, migrants who are coming into the city. The mass and cast situation has been uh, dispersed. All the same people, I see them every day. They aren't intense, but they are within a multi-block area that includes Roxbury and the South End and, um, and parts of, uh, of uh, uh, further down Mass Ave. Uh, we've got the rodent problem, which is, is I'm not kidding about, which it, I don't even get scared by seeing rats anymore. There are so many of them. Um, so these are issues I want my city councilors 
and the city councilors should be be working on and focusing on and and who knows what else will pop up so uh it's it's a serious issue but you know again Corey, it's it's sort of it reminds me of the rachel rollins situation when she was the state's attorney you know she blatantly put a target on her back. She had a target on her back and then she put a bigger target on her back. You know, when you know everyone is out to get you, you don't go to a fundraiser that would be in violation of what your role can and cannot do. So if, if the if city councilor, uh, uh, Fernandez Anderson, understands that people are out to get her, then uh, try not to give them easy things to take issue with. You know, do what, do your job the way you want to do it, state your opinions the way you want to state them, but don't give them fodder so that we're spending time talking about this instead of the work that you're doing within the community. All right. All right, Sue, thank you so much. That is going happy to be a uh, yeah, happy new year. Happy new year to you. Uh, it's going to be a, a wild year to, to say the least. Uh, as Sue mentioned, uh, Mayor Wu's State of the City address is coming up. We're going to be covering that. And of course, we'll be covering uh, the Iowa caucus results and we might, might, Get a return appearance from NBC Tim Boston political reporter Matt Pritchard, who's doing the dad thing. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to be on the road uh, covering Iowa for us. Uh, and of course, we're going to be still counting down the days to the New Hampshire primary. But that is it for this first edition of 2024 of Taking Issue. For Sue O'Connell, I'm Corey Smith. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.